you have your Bibles, get to Ephesians 4 again. We're going to be reading out of Ephesians 4. I'm going to begin with verse 7. Ephesians 4 and 7. We've been reading it now for several weeks. We're going to continue to talk a little bit about five-fold ministry. At times we call it governmental gifts. We call them ascension gifts because of what we read here in just a moment. And uh, it's important because uh, the kind of church that we are, uh, we are uh, an apostolic uh, reformed church. We're out of that, that, you know, vein or DNA. And, uh, so uh, we recognize, uh, some things a little bit differently maybe than, than a conventional church might. Doesn't mean we're better or they are, but just means we're different and we just need to understand all of that. Ephesians 4, 7, it says, but to each one of us, grace was given According to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts to men. Now, this he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. So, again, I'm just reminding you that when Jesus died and he spent three days in the grave, what that meant is, is that he descended into hell. He literally went down into the lower regions of the earth. And while he was there in the lower regions of the earth for those three days, he preached to those who were in prison on the paradise side of Hades. And he did that in order to vindicate himself and to vindicate their faith that they had enjoyed all the years and centuries of living under an old covenant. Because when they went and they practiced the sacrificial system and they were bringing the blood of bulls and goats and lambs to the altars of the temple or to the tabernacle, what that really meant was is not that the blood of that that goat or bull or whatever animal it was n- never at any time did was there the belief that the blood of that particular animal was cleansing them of their sin what that meant was they were faithing forward to the lamb the one lamb that had been prophesied for centuries they were believing faithing forward that as they sacrifice those animals, that that blood that Jesus would shed on Calvary's tree would would flow over them as well. And they died, and when they died, because of old covenant righteousness, they went to a place called paradise, and uh, Jesus went for three days into paradise, preaching vindication, leading captivity captive, sprung out of the grave, walked on this earth for 40 days, and at the end of that time period, the scripture says he ascended into the heavens. And Paul said when he ascended into the heavens, he gave gifts or callings to men and to women. We believe this. And I mentioned to you last time that these callings, for lack of a better way to define it, is when God apprehends you in a more, uh, you know, how do I want to say this? We're all called to something, yes. But this would be a vocational ministry gift that he puts a well inside of you And that well inside of you is to be used to flow to God's people in order to, as it will come to say here in verse 12, to equip all the saints. Now let's read what those ministry gifts are in verse 11. It says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. How many are there? Five. That's why we call it five-fold ministry, because there's five of these gifts And I won't spend time reading again, but these gifts are here in order to thoroughly and completely restore us. I like the word equip. It doesn't just mean 
were to uh, take you to a leadership class and just give you great information, but it literally means a thorough and complete restoration, which not only includes perhaps wisdom and DNA transfer, but it includes supernatural equipping as well. So how many of you know if we want to be miraculous people, then we probably ought to pay attention to how God equips us to be that kind of people. He does it through these five gifts. Last week, we talked about the apostle and the prophet real fast. And I hate to do this fast because we can literally spend hours on each one of these five, but I got to zip through it. Okay. But just enough, maybe to whet your appetite or at least to give you enough information, revelation, that when we talk about it at other times, you got a foundation by which you can deal with it. Tonight, we're talking about these three. Now, let's talk about an evangelist. An evangelist. What's an evangelist? A messenger of the gospel or good news. An evangelist is one who has the ability or the grace to consistently bring people to a moment of accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Now, are we all called in order to bear witness of our faith? Can you say amen? All of us are witnesses. Now, here's, here's, the, here's the liberating thing for me. You know, I'll present the gospel, and I have on more occasions than I can count. I'm not a five-fold evangelist, though. In other words, I can, I can present the gospel, and I've learned to do that, and, and I like doing it. I don't know that I am graced in the same way as some people are graced to do that. They have, like, an incredible batting record. I mean, you just loose these people, and it doesn't matter who you loose them on. They're going to bring these people to a saving knowledge of the Lord. Now, I don't know about you. I don't have like a, like a high batting average in this. You know, you've seen me. You've even come to church. Even when I'm speaking from here and I give an invitation, and, you know, maybe a handful come down. We all rejoice, but everybody didn't come down, did they? And there were still some that walked out and probably needed to and didn't. Now, again, that's, I'm just using that as an observation evaluation moment. A five-fold evangelist is graced to do this in an incredible way. In fact, all of an evangelist's life is evaluated by this thought. Will it get people saved? Now, it's really important. I'm going to stop here for just a minute. Because if you have apostolic gifting, all of the world is evaluated usually by, um, does, this, does this build something in people's lives? Does this build foundations in people's lives? Does this build up a local church? Will this help start churches? See, that's how an apostle, he just evaluates all of life like that. How would a prophet evaluate life? A prophet would evaluate life by saying, what's God saying? Is this the now heart of God? Is this what he's saying, you know, in the future? I mean, so you understand each one of these wells is going to look at things different. An evangelist will look at it by what uh, will this get people saved? And that's why oftentimes, and some of you have experienced this, for those of you that have Southern Baptist backgrounds, I'm going to help you out here right now. There are more evangelists in Southern Baptist pulpit per square inch than in any other denomination. I mean, really, you, I mean, and, and, and that's not a criticism. I, 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 many of them, it doesn't matter what text they read from, I know where they're going to. It's would you be saved? I mean, it doesn't matter what it is. I mean, they could be, I mean, they could be preaching out of the genealogy. And somehow they'll weave that thing around in order to give an altar call to get people saved. And, and people do get saved. Some of them exponentially. And I believe many of them are graced as an evangelist. Now, the frustrating part is if you're sitting in the pew oftentimes and you don't understand that, what happens is you'll begin to say, doesn't he have another sermon? 
But you got to understand that his whole world is clouded by the well that's inside of him that says, will this get people saved? Now, don't fault him for that. But remember what I said. Do you perceive the gift? That's what Jesus said to the woman. Do you perceive the gift? Do you understand who it is that's before you? That will really help you a lot. It will cut your frustration levels down tremendously. Now, having said that, I believe that if you are a pastor of a local church, you need to do your best to give your people a full diet. You know, give them the buffet of the gospel. I think you ought to do that. But everything's going to be clouded a little bit with that call. And you know what? Since none of us are Jesus, all of us are going to have an emphasis. And, and that's why you can't, as, as a people, you can't be frustrated by that well. But at the same time, as pastors, we can't be frustrated that, you know, people don't always get why we are like we are. So, okay, so, so every message is like that in an evangelist, as it will be in each of these five gifts. Now, Philip was a five-fold evangelist in the Scripture. I'm going to go through this real quickly. I think if God calls you, there are certain things that happen no matter what he calls you to. Number one is you got to have a servant's heart. I don't care who you are or what God's called you to do. If you don't have a servant's heart, then, um, then I'm telling you, you're not going to find an open door. Jesus said the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. If that's what Jesus does, then that's what we should do. Servant's heart. Then you need to be faithful. I believe in a local church. I believe everything emanates from the local church. Surprise, surprise. All right. Number three, he was full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And number four, his home was in order. These are foundations that the scripture tells us must be there in order uh, for open doors to come to us. Now, let me go through this. Some important features of, a, and of an evangelist, things that uh, I think we can find in scripture as well as things I think you would agree with just by observation. Number one, usually they're pretty good speakers because you got to keep the world's attention. I mean, I listened the other day. They posted one of old Chuck Milhuff's YouTube things, and I was listening to that, and it brought back all these wonderful memories. And the dude was created to speak to the world. Now, it wasn't a deep message. It wasn't something you'd get your pencil out and go, oh, this is deep. It wasn't deep. How many of you know the world's not deep? The world just needs to get saved. And then we'll hand him to the teacher to get, get him deep, you see. But I'm just telling you, the dude has a gift. I remember you could bring the hard cases to church, the ones that would say, they ain't no way, no how. I'm never going to go down front. I'm never going to give my heart. And you give him 30 minutes with Chuck Milhuff, and he will have just, God used him just to crack hard hearts. Amazing evangelistic gift. I watched people that I wouldn't have given a snowball's chance in Gehenna of getting saved, and he would reach and be able to get him. And he did it at dinner tables, too. He did. I mean, he wasn't just a public speaker. I mean, he'd, he'd get the cab, cabbie saved if he was, t you know, he'd, you know, sit and get the waitress saved. I mean, it just an, an incredible gift. And so, you know, he had one of those demonstrable callings. Now, they tend to have poor discernment. Now, why do I say that? Is because Philip, interestingly, in the Scripture, Philip, when he saw Simon, couldn't, dis couldn't discern Simon's heart. See, Simon the sorcerer, remember, he wanted to buy the Holy Ghost. But, and, and Philip couldn't discern that. Now, I think it was Peter who got a hold of that because Peter was, was gifted in a different way, and he could discern that instantly. And that's an evangelist. An evangelist really can't discern people. He just sees the world they need saved. And this is the other interesting thing about an evangelist. Every problem you have stems back to whether you were saved or not. No joke. If you've got an issue, then you need to get saved again, probably. Or you really weren't saved in the first place. That's true. And that's just how they look at life. 
It may be true in some instances, but and I, obviously, but that's if your life's crowded like that. I mean, you go to a prophet and they're going to say, let's hear from God. You just haven't heard from God. He just hadn't spoke to you in this matter. If it's an apostle, he's going to look at you and say, you got to get some foundation in your life. Now you see you're starting to connect the dots as to why people are like they are. Um, signs and wonders usually accompany the ministry. I, I've said here they're usually poor, and when I use the term set ones, they're usually poor what we call pastors. And the reason they're poor pastors is, is because they don't tend to sheep. They want to win the lost, and they're always looking at you saying, why aren't you worried about the lost? Are you following me? Now don't, don't be hard on them. That's just how they are. All right? I mean, we're going to get to a box list here. If you go to a prophet, if you have a problem and go to a prophet, he's just going to look at you tell you to grow up and hear from God, and, you know, you'll be fine. Now, we'll talk about a pastor, and, and, and it's not that all of us shouldn't have shepherding, shepherding abilities. I'm not, I'm not saying you shouldn't have a shepherding ability. This is not to give pastors or, or, or servants of the Lord an excuse to just be dysfunctional. I'm not saying that. I'm just I'm helping you understand a little bit why sometimes ministers are like they are. Um, a lot of times they aren't all that concerned with the baptism with the Holy Spirit because they're too busy getting you saved. Um, of course, they of course, would obviously see water baptism as vital. They, they are given to the church not just to evangelize, but to equip us for evangelism. So listen to me. If, if a fivefold evangelist came and ministered to us, and even if I'm sitting there because I'm not a fivefold evangelist, but even as I'm sitting there and, and I drink from the well, I discern the gift that's in front of me, I drink from the well. I allow that impartation that happens in these moments because it's not just what's taught, it's what's caught. And what happens is, is while I may never be a fivefold evangelist, I can be enlarged by that ministry gift to do evangelism and witnessing better. Are you with me now? Because all of us need to witness, right? And when opportunity comes to lead people to the Lord, we should be able to do that. And so that's why, that's why we're enlarged in that measure. Amen. Now, let's talk about the one everybody loves, the pastor, the ministry of the pastor. This, really, this is the one people like. I'm going to share with you why. Now, I want to remind you that out of tradition, we call, we call the one who is over the church pastor. Now, we're not changing that. I'm not, I'm not fighting thousands of years of tradition. I tried that once, and it just isn't worth it. So I understand you're going to keep calling me pastor. You'll call Pastor Tracy, Pastor Noah, Pastor Tyler. I, and if we have other staff and it enlarges, you may have other pastors that come. And that's what we'll do because I think it's a title of honor. It helps, I think, our kids understand how to give uh, uh, honor because, you know, you don't want your kids going around. And I don't think it's right to call someone who's over them spiritually in authority to call them, you know, hey, Kevin. <laughs> well, who are you? <laughs> you know, so I just I think that helps. Now, I understand we're going through a church age right now where, where you know, we're, we don't worry about authority. We're everyone's friend. And, and people look at me and they say, well, you put your pants on the same way I do. You're right. I do put my pants on the same way you do. And I get up every morning and I drink my coffee like you drink it. And I'm a human being just like you're a human being. But I tell you, there's one difference. I'm called to something you're not. Now, that doesn't make me better. doesn't make me more spiritual. You may even hear from God better than I do. But that's not how authority works. I think, I think I'm more spiritual than our president, but I'd still call him Mr. President. I wouldn't be bopping into the Oval Office and say, hey, Barack. Maybe you would, but I, I'm telling you right now, you'd be out of order. 
I mean, there are, there are congressmen and mayors and all sorts of civil servants that I guarantee you, I don't know that I respect much, and I'm sure I'm more spiritual than they are, but I would treat them with honor. Okay? I don't call my dad Neil. Hey, Neil. I mean, that doesn't even feel right. I'm doing it right now, and I'm feeling like, oh, just don't, that doesn't feel right. I mean, you have some kid, I mean, how many you know, some five-year-old kid running up to their parents and just calling their parents by name? Hey, Kev. No. I mean, dad's an honorable name. He's my dad. He's my father. Hey, dad, that's honorable. We honor. All right, you're following me now. So we're not switching the pastor name out. I mean, we do that because it's, it's, it's a place of honor, and it's a way to distinguish some things. And, and, and that is right, and that's in order. But having said that, we need to understand that that you can have one that we call pastor that may not be that fivefold ministry gift, but there is a fivefold ministry gift of shepherd. And the word pastor actually comes from the Greek word poimen, which everywhere in the Bible it is always translated shepherd except in this one instance. I find that fascinating. So all through the scripture, if you see the word shepherd in there, it is the word poimen. But you get to Ephesians 4, 11, and it says pastor. Now you ask me the question, then why did they translate it pastor and not shepherd? And I'm going to give you a very deep research reason as to why this is. I don't know. There's no reason that I can figure. I've not even read. I mean, I, there's not even much out there that explains it. So literally, Ephesians 4.11 could say apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, and teacher, and that probably would have been a better way to have translated that would have helped us so much through the centuries. But hey, I can't go back and change old Martin, can I? And it's just the way it is. But but a shepherd is one who leads and guides, protects and feeds. All right, poimen. Now you can be an ascension gift shepherd and not necessarily the one who's in charge of the church. You may, not, you may not be an Ascension Gift Shepherd and still be the leader of the local church. So you understand being the leader of the local church does not mean you have to be a five-fold pastor. It's a name we use to describe who stands up there. All right? That's, that's what we've turned it into. But there is a shepherding gift. What does it look like? Well, these passages uh, tell us a little bit as to what a five-fold shepherd looks like. Now, number one, they love to open doors for sheep. I mean, they're just, they, they just go, go on through, go on through. See, that's the part of a shepherding gift that p- people don't understand. And many pastors are facilitators, almost enablers. And you'll meet men like that. You like them because they're enabling you. That's why we like them. I like them. Don't look at me like, oh, not me. Yeah, you, you do. When someone facilitates you and even enables you, we kind of like that. And, the, and, and a shepherd will open doors for sheep and say, you go through first. I'll be the last one. I'll be the last one through. I want you to go through first. They want, they want the sheep to go through. Number two, they usually are very good at knowing the sheep by name and knowing them as individuals. In other words, they, they, uh, you know, they just, because they're locked in, you know, apostles think about this apostles. It's not that they don't love people any less because what we do is we say, we tend to say, well, they must love me less because they don't know me as well as, you know, this person over here knows me. Can I, I'll just say this up front. I, I, I do better at it than I have through the years, but I'll still give Tracy her due. She remembers names like a mad woman. I mean, she could meet you for 10 seconds and she'll come home and say, did you meet so-and-so? I said, who's so-and-so? 
Well, you know that person we talked to there for about 30 minutes. Oh, that was their name. I didn't, I'm just, I mean, I don't mean to be like that. I have to use things in order to help me remember names. Usually, usually embarrassment once or twice helps me remember names. If you knew how difficult that was for me. Now, can I tell you this in all genuineness? It doesn't mean I don't love people any less because I struggle with remembering your name. You do too. I mean, it's just like, Andrew, and, 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 and I'm just telling you right now, Andrew, there could be some Sunday I walk up to you and shake your hand and I'll go, uh, uh. Andrea, Andrea. And you know, I've known you for years. And I don't, and it's not that I don't love Andrea or, you know, it's not, that, that's not what it's about. It's just, but, but I'm telling you out of that calling, if they'll remember, they know their sheep by name. They know if one's gone, they'll leave the 99 to get the one. I mean, that's, that's how they are. Uh, they don't want the sheep to lack. They'll always bring a sense of peace. Um, you know, some of us have been around servants of the Lord. They bring a real sense of peace when they come in. They replenish the soul. Read Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. If you want to hear what a shepherd does, just read the 23rd Psalm, and you'll begin to see all the things. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He restoreth my soul. He leads me beside still waters. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Thy rod and thy staff, they are with me. They are comforting me. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. I don't know that I quoted it right, but I got a few of the passages in there. But that's, that's, that's a good psalm to describe what a shepherd does. They walk with you uh, in difficult moments. I mean, they'll be there and, and be there the whole time with you. I just, I'll just share with you, I've, the era has changed. And uh, when people, a lot of in-out surgeries anymore, so it's, it's different than it was years ago. I mean, you can go in and get a heart transplant and they have you out the next day. I mean, it's remarkable the things they do anymore. I mean, no joke. I think, Dan, didn't you get something done and, 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 and you're out the next day. Years ago, you'd have been laid up for a week, you know, and uh, yeah, I won't go through all the different medical conditions of the congregation. <laughs> Sorry, Dan, I just, I wouldn't do that to you. But you know what I'm saying, you get your gallbladder done and you're home the next day. And, and so there's, it's a little bit different for a pastor nowadays because of the in-out situation. It just has changed the whole dynamic. I remember, now I'm, I'm just, hey, can I just be honest with you? Because years ago, and I'm telling you, I've been pastoring since I was 24, so I've been doing this a long time, and used to go in those rural churches and people go to the hospital. Of course, they're country folk, and they had country expectations on the preacher. And when you went to surgery, you were there from the moment they checked in, and you were there until they were in bed tucked away, you know, and, and I mean, and that could be three days sometimes. I mean, that's, and that's, you just set up shop and that's how it worked. I'm just going to be honest with you. It killed me. Now that doesn't mean I don't care about what's going on in the operating room. That, I mean, follow what I'm saying, but, but these people live for that. They live for that. I'd just soon pray you out of the hospital and go in there and go, be healed, see you later. Just, you know, that's me, Joe. You know, that's kind of how I am. No. Now, again, that's not to say, well, that pastor won't see me in the hospital. No, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying, because everybody should have shepherding skills. But it helps you understand why you like that one so much and you didn't really care for that one, but that one seemed to be the one you needed. Are you understanding now? And if you'll discern the gift that's in front of you, it'll keep you from getting irritated and frustrated. They love to reconcile. They're full of mercy. In fact, they're, they're probably overly mercy motivated at times. They, they give away the bank. 
I think of, I think of we, had a, we had a shepherding pastor when I was at Evangel. He was a nice guy. He really was, a five-fold shepherd. He just was there. I mean, when people had a death in the family, I mean, he, 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 I mean, he, loved, he loved packing up the coolers. He loved buying all the things. I mean, he loved that stuff. His whole trunk, you opened it up, and it was like a, a funeral ready to, on wheels. I mean, it was, he just loved that stuff. And he's just waiting for the call, you know. He's like Batman in the Batcave waiting for the, for the death call, you know. And so he could run and, and get them their Coke and their ice and their stuff and all. And, and, and the meat planter from Piggly. And he loved this stuff. He lived for this stuff. You could call him 2, 3 o'clock in the morning and he would, it didn't matter what he had the next day. He'd be out of bed and it, it wouldn't matter what your problem is. It could be a uh, hangnail and he would be over at your house anointing your hangnail with oil. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm being probably embellishing a little bit, but it was just, it was just, yeah, not much though, but that's just how he was. Now again, don't be mad at me. I'm just saying you call me at 3 a.m. It's just not my, my, now I'm not saying if there's, if there's, no, no, I'm not saying if there's not tragedy or death. I'm not saying I wouldn't get, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. You have a hangnail. We're going to have a problem though. <laughs> we're going to have a problem. Remember one time someone called me up about one o'clock in the morning. They said, pastor, cause I was pastor Kevin, pastor Kevin. I finally figured it out. I figured it out. I've, I, I, I'm oppressed. I'm oppressed. I know I got this devil named it or whatever. And said, I, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. I said, dude, you've lived with that thing for 20 years. You can go another eight hours before we cast that thing out. See you in a little bit. <laughs> now, the opposite of a shepherd is a hireling. And a hireling is someone who does it because that's the job. It's just, it's what you do because it's the job. And um, you can usually sniff out a hireling pretty quick. It doesn't take long. A shepherd does it. You, you, it doesn't matter. You pay them or not pay them, they'll keep doing it. I mean, they're going to they're gonna do their call. I've often said I, I'm the most fortunate person in the world because I get paid to do what I would do for free. And I mean that. I mean, I, I, I can't tell you all the different things because it would sound like I'm soliciting pity, but I'm just, I'm just telling you. I, literally, if I could do it, I'd, just, I'd give it all away. I'd do it for free. And that's, that's kind of how you know you're called. It's not you're waiting for your gig and how much will you pay me to do it. Um, so, so that's the pastor. Now, how would a pastor view everything? Now, a pastor, remember we talked about the apostle would want to get foundations and, and uh, a prophet would want to hear from God and evangelist would look at you and say, are you sure you're saved? And uh, what would a pastor do? How would a pastor look at life? Well, a pastor would, would probably be more there, there. I'll walk with you. I'll carry you. We will make this together if it takes us a decade. <laughs> Dude, not me. In an hour, we're done. And you're on. <laughs> Seek God. Amen. All right. I'm being, I'm being overly dramatic here. All right. I'm, I'm doing this for dramatic effect, trying to hopefully help you understand some things. All right, the shepherd. And then lastly, it's the teacher. Understanding what the fivefold teacher is. Now, a fivefold teacher is a little bit different uh, than a motivationally gifted teacher. I know some of you have jobs as teachers, and uh, you could indeed be called to be a fivefold teacher in that respect that you are graced uh, to teach things, and people have uh, an uncanny or unique ability to receive 
um, and learn from you. I've been through much school, as some of you have as well. Some of you can remember back to just simply high school. You had teachers you liked and teachers you did not like. There were various reasons for those things. But is it not true, guys, over here that there are certain teachers you go to and they're interesting? I mean, they're teaching whatever it is, and I don't know whether it's their passionate, and I don't know if, if you've tried to define it or understand it, but when they start talking, man, you start receiving. I mean, you get it from them. But then there are other teachers like you're going, snore a loser here, man. It's a, this is, this is, this is tough. And you know, we've all faced that. We've, we've, we face those, you know, you heard the old saying, those who can't teach and those who, those who can't teach, teach Jim. Yeah, so that's... So <laughs> okay, we've got to stay on track here. This is the eighth class of trimester three. Amen. We just needed to laugh a little, I guess, tonight. Now, what about a teacher? Let's talk about some traits. What's a teacher like? Well, they're obsessed with the Scripture. You say, well, shouldn't everybody be obsessed? Because that's really what a teacher thinks. Teacher thinks everybody ought to be obsessed with Scripture. You know, prophet, I'm going to be honest with you, sometimes a prophet's not as obsessed with Scripture as the teacher is. The prophet would just as soon hear it from God himself. And, and, and we'll just believe it'll. Now, does that mean he gets out of Scripture? No. I'm just trying to give you kind of the emphasis. They are obsessed with Scripture. They, are, they love to study. They love to research. They love to get a word and just squeeze it and drain it and twist it until they get the last, last drip of etymology out of the thing. Yeah, Rick Renner's a teacher. You ever read a Rick Renner book? <laughs> you say, I didn't want to know that much about logos, logisomai. I didn't want to know that much. <laughs> but they're obsessed with that because it's the word, not bad. And what happens is when you got a fivefold teacher and they're in your midst and you get impartation from that, what happens is all of a sudden your hunger increases. Isn't that true? I've been around people, when they get done, I go, man, I got to get into the word more. Man, I got to get into it more. I've got to study it more, memorize it more because that's just, that's what they transmit. Good. Not a bad thing, good thing. They're usually concerned for sound doctrine. In fact, sometimes they can be almost just, just ADD on it. They can, be, they can just be obsessed with sound doctrine. They will argue with you constantly over, over doctrinal issues. And you've heard me say before. Now, I, was, I believe I was, you know, you got to always remember that you're, sometimes you're trained for certain things and you're called to certain things. You know, I went through a whole bunch of school, and so I had to learn how to outline. I had to learn how to write. I know it doesn't seem like it at times, but, I, you know, I had to learn grammar. And, um, and, and you know, I've lost that through the years. And, uh, and I've reached the place where I don't, you know, I don't argue with people over some doc. I mean, if you're an error, you know, I'm going to address error. But, you know, if there's some doctrine that, you know, if you believe Jesus comes in the middle of the tribulation period, yeah, praise God. You know, we'll wave at you, you know, as you're going through the tribulation, the rest of us. But, but, but I'm not arguing with people. I'm not arguing with people anymore over eternal security. Uh, I'm not going to do it. I, I know where I stand. I know what I believe the Bible says. I know why I land there. I'm, 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 I'm just sure I'm on solid ground. And I'm, just, I'm, not, I'm not trying to win the world to my view of security. I'm just, I just, it's just, I'm worn out with those arguments. So a teacher, I don't think ever gets worn out with it. I think they love it. I think they feed on it. I think it, it, they flourish in it. 
All right. They desire the whole counsel of God. Uh, they tend to enjoy being taught. That's true. If, if you're a teacher, you usually like it when you're taught. Uh, they usually like the outlines that get handed out. They say, this is good. You know, whenever I have enough teacher in me, though, to be able to say this, if I go to conferences and I get a good set of notes, I'm going like, yeah, this is going to be good. And then, and, then, and, then, and then if I get a set of outline, you know, or an outline that just has like, like, like two major points is all that's on it. I'm going, this is, this is. Now, I'm not, not saying that's bad. Don't get offended. You're saying, well, that's me. Don't get offended. I'm not here to offend you. I'm just saying that I'm trying to share with you how people think. And, and how we quit being frustrated, irritated with one another because we don't get how we're wired by God. Um, they usually can translate complicated spiritual concepts into a simple truth. Of course, I've also heard people take a simple truth and translate it into a complicated thing because they wanted to be a teacher. And they've, because they wanted to be a teacher, they felt like they had to bring something revelational, and when it's revelational, it's complicated. I heard a message from a guy one time, and I don't know, he had us into the or, some orbital phase of God's glory. And I'm going, wow, I don't, where, what's this? You've complicated something so much to the point that none, nobody in this room's getting it, but everybody in the room's going, oh, yeah. Because who wants to admit that they aren't the spiritual one who doesn't get it? I don't get it. That's me. They're a walking concordance. Now, my wife says that's me, but, but again, and it could be I, I, I've got a teacher in me because I do, I do like a lot of these things. Yeah, that's exactly why. That, whenever you hear a teacher speak, that's why they're, gonna, they're always going to give you a list. Isn't that great? I'm great for your refrigerator because you're always going to get a list that you can put up on your refrigerator. And usually they're a living example of their instruction is that if, you know, they, they want to they walk what they instruct. Not everyone, but, but usually that's the case. Now, the biggest pitfall, let me give you some pitfalls of a teacher. Number one is pride. It, probably more so than any other. Uh, I want to read, I hope that's right, 1 Corinthians 8.1. Uh, yeah, it says, now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up but love edifies. And sometimes, you know, teacher has revelation, they have understanding, and, and one of their greatest problems is pride. And that, that one is going to have to be monitored, usually on a, on a constant basis. Sometimes the need for notoriety. The third one is they use the word as a weapon. Don't get in an argument with me with Scripture. I will get you. Well, that's not what the word's for. You understand that, though, right? That's not the right use of the word. And then the fourth thing, the fourth pitfall is at times they can fall into the traditions of men. And that is once they, once they get a revelation, they have a hard time being, being exposed to any further illumination on that revelation. Once they get it, they think they've got it. I, I've seen this before in preachers' Bibles. They will underline their Bible and circle it and make notes and all the things. Maybe you do that, too. And you know how I, I, I get attached to my Bible, I mean, it's like my friend. And after a while, I've been in a Bible for so long that my thumb, like, knows automatically where to go. 
And it's like it can just hit the pages and I can get right there. And I don't have the cheat things in it, you know. And it's just, it's just your thumb. It's just, you just get comfortable with it. And I've had Bibles that I've literally just, I've just, the pages are falling out and I've taped them back in because I didn't want to get rid of my Bible because I just love that Bible. I just wasn't going to get rid of it. But, but the Lord spoke to me uh, just several years ago and he said, no, once it gets to that place, let it go. Because you know what? You need to read it clean again and not read your notes and your arrows and your circles and your underlines. It's good for a while. It's good for a season to be able to do that. But every now and then you need to get a clean script and let me speak to you fresh out of that thing again. And, uh, and he does. He speaks new things out of passages that I thought, wow, I thought we've, we got everything we could get out of that verse, and I never saw that before. And so, uh, and so anyway, that's a good thing. But teachers can fall into that trap. Now, I put a little chart here, and you don't have to fill out the chart. It's not you know, going to be handed in or anything else. But I, I just wrote all of these different issues or topics that, that are in people's life, and each one of these particular callings or giftings are going to have a different a different angle than each other as to how they approach it. You know, if an apostle, let's go down to new Christian. If you have a new Christian in front of you, you know, an apostle's going to look at him and, and, and just work with me here. What would an apostle say probably to a new Christian? They got to get in a local church. That's probably something he'd say. What else might they say? They'd say, get in the word. Sure they would. Get some foundations in your life. You know, that, that's, so you begin to hear what an apostle is going to even counsel people in. What would a prophet say to that new believer? Spend time listening to God. Yeah, probably talk a little bit more about intercession. Anything else that might be out there? You know, might, might be a, tend to be a little bit more black and white with life and all of those sorts of things. Did I miss one? Examining yourself, yes. What about an evangelist? Yeah, well, number one is a new Christian, he's going to look at him and say, come on, you and I are going to go out soul winning right now. You might as well learn it right away. It's Thursday night calling and you're it. Isn't that true? That's exactly what they're going to do. And they're going to say, don't I need a class or not? No, 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 class, you don't need a class. Let's just go get out here. Just win people to Jesus. And that's, and that's, that's not wrong. I'm not saying that people ought not... Because, hey, new Christians probably have the greatest harvest field around them than anybody in the church. What would a pastor do? I'm going to walk with you, going to train you, maybe mentor you, going to get you. Gonna, we're going to meet in my office three times a week. You know, if you have any problems, here's my cell number. <laughs> what would a teacher do? Here's a plan for reading the Bible, yeah. Here are the, yeah, sign you up for the next 12-week class, and here are the 10 things you need to do by next week. Isn't that true? Okay, now, why do I spend so much time on this? It's because that's not traditional church understanding. No, traditional church understanding, this is how I grew up. I remember when I went to my seminary class, I went to my first, I think they called it, I don't know if they called it pastoral care class. I forgot what they called it. I went to this class. I guess we'll call it pastoral care. They gave me a book about this thick. It had about 35 chapters in it. And all 35 chapters started as the pastor as. The pastor is leader. The pastor is CEO. The pastor in his finances. The pastor in preaching. The pastor in Sunday school. 
the pastor in missions, the pastor in evangelism, the pastor, the pastor, the pastor. And it just went through these 35 things. The only thing it didn't have was the pastor in mental breakdown. That's the only chapter that wasn't in there. Can I just tell you, just stop for a minute. And I know you're chuckling because you see it now because there's revelation in the room, but that is dysfunctional. Because truth of the matter is, there ain't nobody can do that book. There's nobody that can do all these things. And yet, but that's the concept, the traditional concept that gets developed. Now, again, I'm not saying all tradition's bad. There's some tradition that's, that's foundational and worthy. But I am saying that some things like this has to be understood or re-understood in order for us to be able to receive, to be enlarged, and to be equipped thoroughly and completely in every way so that we may grow into the knowledge of the Son of God to the stature of a mature man, that we may come to the unity of the faith, that we'll no longer be tossed to and fro as children, and that the body can grow up. Now, I realize I butchered those last six verses or however many there were, but you get the point. And the point is, is that when we can understand that and receive from that and we're enlarged by that and we're not, we're not kicking against that, but we can embrace that, then what happens is, is that God can begin to use that in order that we might be matured in him and in the kingdom. Amen. All right.